Hello and welcome to another edition of the Strip Till Farmer Podcast, brought to you by the Pluribus Light from Dawn Equipment. I'm your host, Noah Newman. Special treat this week, we are on the road and inside the combine with Putnam, Illinois strip tiller Jay Riddell as he completes corn harvest on one of his farms. We're going to talk about his development of management zones, cover crops, planting green, precision technology, and his unique approach to managing inputs. All right, here we go. Let's hop inside the cab with Jay. Pretty unique when you do with soybeans. Well, we're not on a straight 50-50 crop rotation. So some fields are, are corn, corn, soybeans, and some fields are just um, are just a, a corn, soybean rotation. But, uh, but we do strip 100% of the acres. We strip ahead of the soybeans and ahead of the corn, which around here anyway. Some of the guys who strip till just no-till the soybeans. Right, yeah. So what's your timeline like usually? Like when do you plant soybeans and corn? And I like to plant the soybeans ahead of the corn. So as soon as things get fit um, for around here, you know, April 10th, April 15th is kind of kind of pushing it. Um, but, uh, yeah, we'll try to try to plant soybeans then if we can. And then as, as soon as conditions get good, then we will switch over to corn. So this year we didn't plant well, they planted a couple hundred acres of soybeans, and then we planted all the corn, and then we finished up with soybeans. Yeah, how many acres do you farm? I know this one right here is not typically not yours, but... Yeah, we farm about 2,500. 2,500. So where's your other location at? So we are mainly... The home base is 16 miles from here. Uh, Got it. South and, and west. And so then um, we have uh, about... 400 acres two miles from here and then we got about 400 acres about 10 miles you know back but the bulk of everything is is there near home near sparland at uh uh 16 miles from here are the uh different locations pretty similar or how do they know di- how do they differ no they're vastly different um here we have sand and we've got irrigation um on the, the 400 acres that's two miles from here i think I'm, is that off 29 too I might have passed that. Or is that not on 29? Yeah. So, okay, because I saw so, an irrigation thing. Yeah, know. if you went right by the, the grain elevator, yes, we, we yep. farm right behind there, and there's two uh, pivots on that field. Um, and so, so yeah, that and and that that soil varies from, from you know, there's some, some actually some good black dirt on it all the way to blow sand uh, all in the same field. So it's, it's a, a little more challenging, but works out a little better for, you know, everything we do is, is based off management zones. And so um, we don't necessarily have the management zones to reduce fertilizer or input costs. We just try to reallocate it. And so we want to um, we want to, to spend the most money or, or we spend the most inputs where we think we have the greatest return. So an area in the field that we think can raise 300, you know, it'll get more fertility, it'll get more seed. Um, and then when we're in the, in the blow sand areas or, or right along a tree line um, that we know, you know, can only grow 220 bushel, we, we cut back the fertilizer, we cut back the seed um, on those areas. And we've actually found that when we, when we did that, we actually increased the production in those poor areas because we were just planting it too thick and, and the soil just couldn't couldn't produce uh where when we we cut back the the population to you know um 26,000 or 28,000 on, on corn for population 
then you know it was actually growing more than when we were trying to plant it to thirty four thousand. Oh, so, wow. so that that actually um, is kind of the low hanging fruit that you know that was easy easy to grab. The management zone. So, how does that work? Do you, you do soil sampling? Do you hire someone to do it, or how do you? Um, so, I have an agronomist that helps me um, set them up, and um, so they were basically we we ran a, a varus machine um, or. And we've also, we've kind of switched more now to soil optics and um, we run that over basically every acre and that helps us determine exactly what soil types are where. And then if we know that, well, this, this field has been pattern tiled, you know, so there's kind of some, some subjectiveness of, of us knowing the ground then has changed, you know, those management zones over time. But, but so the first thing we'll do is, is if we pick up a field, you know, we will give it a yield goal. So for easy figuring we'll just say that that so the, the corn yield goal was 270 bushel well then we'll have areas in that field that could be you know 80 percent of the yield goal and areas that would be 120 percent and so so we end up with a, a map with a management zone that adds up to 100 percent you know or comes back to an average of 100 percent and and that's basically then what we tweak on you know where we're putting how much fertilizer and and how much seed and things too. So got it. So we start with the yield goal, and then we go to you know, and then we have have our map made. This, so the 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 yield maps don't really play a big factor in our management zones. They're kind of more just the report card. Um, you know how we did where, and and, uh, and we'll leave checks with kind of the standard practice that that goes the full pass through the field, which will then kind of tell us if our management zones were were accurate or not accurate or, or improved or if they hurt us. And uh, ultimately, Mother Nature has the trump card. So all we're really trying to do is set ourselves up for for success in a in a normal year. Um, so our practice then is, is all the dry fertilizer in the strip. And then um, the bulk of our nitrogen will be put on with anhydrous and side dress time. So um, and we won't we won't make that um, prescription map until forty eight hours before we go to to put it on. Oh, that's um, quick! Because we, we you know we we want to know what the weather did. We want to know you know hey how good of a stand do we have? Um, and so and where you know where the best bang for for that dollar or, or maybe it's to to cut back rates or maybe you know it's uh, you know with the corn price being high like it was and we had a beautiful stand this year and so. You know, we push some of those rates, you know, a little more. And that's that's the beauty of, of the in-season application. I, I feel it's better for the environment, but it also allows us to kind of kind of call an audible and, and really give the field what, what we think it needs for the year. When do you usually side dress? Is there an approximate time window or does it uh, depend on the year? It depends on the year, but it's going to be somewhere in that in that June time frame. And then... How do you apply the fertilizer? Do you apply it with a strip till rig or? Yeah my, yeah, my dry fertilizer then is blown in the strip. Uh, I got a 16 row strip till bar that's got two six ton compartments on it. And so we take the ingredients separately and then we make our own blend going across the field. And I say we take the products separately. We we take our potash as, as a lone ingredient and then we do mix map and sulfur together. So it's a blend in the other tank and then and then it, it blends going through the field. Again, it's it's variable rate with hydraulic drives. There's there's four drives per tank. So there's actually eight drives 
on the on the bar so the bar can be putting down a different rate of each ingredient at four rows at a time so it, it can really be changing we we also have the capabilities then to pull anhydrous um with that strip till bar too and we variable rate it we don't apply very much fall anhydrous we we will on on small fields that are really hard to side dress but we do a fair amount of custom work and most of our custom guys want their nitrogen down in the fall so that's that's really why we why we have the nitrogen on the, on the strip bar got it so you build your strips in the fall then strictly yes. Yeah, for the most part, um, we do have some cows that that will run on some corn stalks, and so we will um, strip those fields in the spring. Uh, we do some custom work in the spring with the strip till bar too. Uh, again, where where some of it's you know a lot more sandy, you know they they want those strips made in the spring, so so we do that. And let's burn a quick time out to thank our sponsor, the Pluribus Light from Dawn Equipment. Dawn is bringing today's innovative farmers a new strip-till product from the regenerative ag-focused underground agriculture brand. The Pluribus Light is priced like a strip freshener, but it offers the features and performance to be used in the fall or spring as a primary strip-tiller or strip freshener. Check out the Pluribus Light at dawnequipment.com. Now, back to the conversation. Talking about equipment, you just mentioned the uh, the sixteen row strip till bar. What kind of what brand is it? Is it- so it's a nifty bar, nifty and it's bar. and yeah. it's uh, yeah. So it's Steve Peterson's design. Uh, then we pull it with a five hundred and twenty horse fence tractor. Then we have John Deere planter and John Deere combine. Got it. Oh, what models do you know? Of the yeah, planter? yeah. So the the planter is a seventeen seventy, um, and it's got all of the precision toys on it the the hydraulic downforce uh v sets uh, just speed tubes you know pretty much pretty much everything you can put on it we pull it with a with a 8345 r deer tractor and then the combine is a s780 with a 16 row corn head and a a 40 foot draper uh, on it and the fence is uh, a 1030. when did you start strip tilling and uh you know what was the motivation for getting into it yeah, so we started stripping, um, boy, probably 07 or 08 with just strictly a, an anhydrous bar from the co-op that was set up, you know, to, to make strips. Before before we had the guidance, it was pretty hard to uh, to really stay on the strip and make it work. And, and so we, in 09, then, or actually 08, 4, 09, we bought an eight-row ornament bar. And it was just anhydrous for the first couple of years. And then we put a flexicoil tank on the front of it to, to blow in dry fertilizer. So we've been doing it. We've been been blowing in dry for uh, well, 10 or 12 years. Got it. You're 100% strip till, right? Yes. Yeah. But yes. Basically, I mean, you know, if we have a, a field that we had a tile or something like that, you know, then, you know, we will come in and work it. But no, we're the... the the year-in, year-out plan is, yeah, 100% strip-tiller. Are there a lot of strip-tillers in this area? Or are you one of the only ones, or is it pretty common? Uh, no, it's it's not very common here. There, there's getting to be a few more, um, but probably within 20 miles of here, there's probably only three or four of us. And you guys share ideas a lot or talk or not really? Um, 
some, oh. um, well, you know, so one of them, you know, is, is my neighbor who bought my eight rail work oh, bar. And okay. so, so yeah, him and I, you know, I know that bar really well and, and you know, what, what works through it, and what we've been doing. And so, so yeah, um, uh, him and I, you know, share thoughts cool. back quite a bit and we'll do, um, I think, you know, so far on the books, we've got maybe 5,000 acres to do this fall that I think will grow to probably maybe six or 7,000 this fall. And then we'll do wow. a couple thousand in the spring. So, uh, so we, we get around with our bar. There is, there is then a, a co-op, oh, maybe 30 miles from here then who they run a couple gladiators. Okay. And so, um, so there is, is some strip tilling done, you know, in the area. Cover crops, do you uh, plant those at all? So ahead of our soybeans, we're basically 100% cover crop, oh, wow. uh, just, just with rye. And so, um, and that's really the only operation that we don't do ourselves. As of right now, we're not applying our fungicide on the corn. Uh, you know, we're having that done aerially. But uh, yes, yeah, so we'll, I've got a guy who comes in right behind us and uh, on the field going to soybeans and he'll drill that rye in with the goal being that it germinates and then we come through and run the strip till bar and, and actually kill it out then in our strips. Okay. And so then in the spring, you won't be able to see my strips from the road. You know, you'll, you'll just see all the green rye, but the planter with the guidance easily finds those strips. And, uh, and so I think it's, it's part of why we've been pretty successful with the cover crops is because of the, the strip till. We're not trying to no-till into it. You know, we actually have a nice seed bed there just got the planters just got to go find it got it so about approximately how what are, what are the rates of cereal rye does it vary field to field like how many pounds per uh, acre or? no we we um uh we keep it probably a little more on the light side um so we try to be 30 to 35 pounds biggest benefit to the cereal rye what would you say probably building organic matter that's really why we did it is is for um, erosion control and building organic matter. The side benefit to it has become that our what was a, an expensive first chemical pass has now become a, a, a cheaper chemical pass because it, it doesn't it's it's nothing but a burn down and that that rye does a really good job of suppressing all of our all of our early weeds and so um, we can actually basically save enough on that first chemical pass to pay for seeding the rye and so then everything else is just kind of a, a bonus from there how do you terminate it no we just we terminate it with the sprayer with so spray. we, okay. we we will we will plant it green i'm real big on wanting to plant it green because uh, i don't want a mat uh on the ground there to to have have trouble planting into and um you know Shortly after after the planter pulls out of the field, you know, maybe 48 hours to give that any rye that we dinged with the planter to give it a chance to to uh, be in a position where the chemical will kill it. And then, yeah, we just roll in the ground up and smoke it. Do you have your own sprayer? Or you have yeah. yeah, we've got a, a self-propelled deer, uh, 4930 with 120-foot booms. So part of the reason for the 16-row corn head and the 40-foot draper and the 120-foot sprayer 16 row side dress bar 16 row strip till is to be controlled traffic you know every, everything runs in, in kind of the same wheel tracks uh which where we're side dressing with the anhydrous and, and pulling a tank 
So yeah, with the, the deer, the sprayer is a, a deer sprayer. It's got the Raven Hawkeye system on it, which is the, the pulsating nozzles. And so, um, it, you know, zero overlap, uh, you know, just a, a real, real nice, efficient machine for, um, spraying around waterways and, uh, and, and all the points and stuff that, that we tend to have. For this particular region where you're at, um, are there any unique challenges that you face or, and how does strip till help you kind of overcome some of those challenges? If there are any you can think of off the top of your head. Yeah, so we get into some rolling ground. And so so this strip till bar um, does not have any rolling basket on the, on the rear. It, it's a shank style machine. Um, and so I like that it leaves the strips a lot rougher, but in the fall, I don't feel that that's a problem, you know, cause they'll, they'll melt down over winter. And um, we just don't have near the erosion problems that we did with the Orthman with the rolling baskets. Um, just the rolling baskets or, or the, the gladiators that are, are in the area of the custom. They make such a beautiful seedbed that you don't really need in the fall. And around here, erosion can be a big problem. And, you know, a lot of times it'll, it'll just erode right down the strip, you know, right to the, to the bottom of the strip. We, we usually try to go about nine inches deep and drop our fertilizer about seven. How long has your family been farming for? Uh, yeah, um, I'm fourth generation. Um, my boys, one's in college at Iowa State and the other one's in high school. They're, they're the fifth generation. Um, so yeah, we've been, uh, the home The home ground was actually bought uh, in the early 1900s. So we're a centennial farm. Oh, wow. And your sons want to be heavily involved in the operation? Uh, yeah, I believe so. We'll, you know, we'll, we'll see. Um, my son at uh, Iowa State is, is studying business with, a with I think he's talking about a minor in agronomy. Oh, wow. So um, with plans, yeah, of coming back. So with cover crops and strip till and, and all the practices you implement, what would you say is like the, the main goal or motivation behind it all? We want to be good stewards of the land you know, and, and leave it better than, than we got it. Um, by the same token, you know, we've got to be profitable. And so everything, you know, we've done has, you know, is also watching the bottom line. And that'll wrap things up for this week's edition of the Strip Till Farmer podcast. Thanks once again to Jay Riddell for welcoming us along for the ride. He's a busy guy, so thanks to Jay for taking time out of his day to give us some insight into his operation. As always, we really appreciate you guys listening out there. And thanks to our sponsor, the Pluribus Light from Dawn Equipment. To learn more, head to dawnequipment.com. And for all things strip-till, head to striptillfarmer.com. Until next time, I'm Noah Newman. Have a great day.